But when I was your age, in junior high, I wanted to have my own business. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And an entrepreneur, if you don't know, is basically someone that starts and runs a new business. But something that's important to know is that if you want to start a new business, you have to be willing to take financial risks. Basically, you have to be willing to sacrifice with your money. But the only problem was that, I don't know about you, but when I was your age, I had about as much money as my dog did. And so I couldn't really realize any of those dreams. But what I lacked in money, I met up for in big dreams. Because I wanted to start a coffee company. I wanted to learn how to roast coffee, how to create a brand, how to create a website, how to do online ordering and all this stuff. But again, I had none of the money to actually make any of that happen. And so my dad saw that I was helpless, that I had no money, that I couldn't realize any of these dreams. And he stepped in and had some compassion for me. He offered to pay for the coffee roaster, which, by the way, was like $2,000, the coffee grinder, all kinds of other supplies that I would need, and he helped me create a website, create professional labels. He set up a whole workshop in the garage for me and helped me um, go out and, and sell the coffee on street corners and to neighbors and things like that. And so keep in mind that my dad had no reason to trust that I would make a return on all the money that he'd given because I was a junior high student. I'd never had a job before, much less had I ever run a business. And so he had no reason to trust that all that money was going to return to him some, someday. He freely chose to just show me all that kindness. And so you can imagine that I was pretty grateful. I had this huge dream, but no way of accomplishing it. And then this, my dad steps in and pays for it all. And I was really, really grateful. And so I, I dedicated hours and hours and hours of time and energy in that workshop learning how to roast coffee, learning how to package it, selling it on street corners and, and delivering it to my neighbors. And so I really gave everything I had to that little business, all because my dad had chosen to pay for all those supplies and get me started there when I had nothing to, to give back to him. So in the passage we're going to study today, we're reminded that you and I both have someone who has shown us an incredible amount of kindness. You can probably guess who I'm talking about, right? It's our God. Our God who sent his only son to die on the cross from our, for our sins and free us from death. Um, Titus 3 says, When the kindness of our God appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So just like in the illustration, I had, I had nothing. I, I couldn't do anything. My dad stepped in and paid it all. In the same way, in a much greater way, God has stepped in and has paid our price according to his own mercy. And so because of that amazing thing that God has done, in this passage, he's going to ask us to wholly dedicate ourselves to him. And we're going to explore that together, what that really means. And if you've already tuned out, if you think, well, okay, great, another sermon about the, the mercy of God. I know all this. I, I've heard this before. I, I got this. I understand this. I would really encourage you to tune in here and listen to this because you really need this. Because if you don't understand what this passage, what God wants, wants to tell you through this passage, you'll never understand the reason why you need to obey God. You'll never understand what it looks like to obey God, and you'll never really understand um, how you can even find the motivation to obey God. So, if you'd like to live a, a life that's pleasing to God, and I'm, I'm sure you do, then listen in here. There's great hope to be found in this passage. So turn with me now to Romans 12.
Romans 12. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. So Romans 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's a lot, right? If, if I was to condense this whole passage in, into one sentence to, to tell you what God wants us to, to know through this, it would be this. You must daily dedicate yourself to Christ because of what he has done for you. So this passage is pretty radical. God is speaking through Paul saying that you need to present yourself as a living sacrifice. There's a lot in this passage and we're going to explore it together. And the first thing we need to understand is what Paul is referring to when he says the mercies of God. This is really important to understand. I love the way some of the other translations put it. They say in view of the mercies of God. Rather than saying, by the mercies of God, they say, in view of the mercies of God. And what that tells us is that Paul is actually referring to everything he's already talked about, all the way from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11. He's calling us to remember all of the glorious truth about Christ that he's already given, from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11. And so we're going to do just a little bit of exploring and get a solid understanding of what these mercies are. And the one thing that you should know that's the center of all this, this mercy that Paul is talking about is, it's this, it's, the grace of the Lord Jesus in taking your sin upon himself. It's his death in your place on the cross and his victory in rising from the dead. That's the center of all these mercies. And uh, Paul is saying that it's only when you have those mercies in view that you can present yourself as a living sacrifice. So that being said, I want to give you point one right now, and then we're going to unpack it. So write this down for point one. Treasure Christ's sacrifice for you. That's point one. Treasure Christ's sacrifice for you. Up on the screen there. And so again, when Paul says the mercies of God, he's really talking about everything he's already explored in the book of Romans. And so we're going to do a little flyover and see if we can't get a a better understanding of what he's really meaning. Think of it like this. At night, maybe you were on train retreat and you looked up in the sky and you saw the moon, right? This brightest object in the night sky. It's beautiful. You don't even need a telescope to see it because it's so big. You can see the craters. You can see some of the details. But you can't really see any of the finer details. It's only when you look through a telescope that then you can see, wow, the shadows of the craters, all the fine details you miss. And so in the same way, when Paul says the mercies of God, you probably have some idea of what that means. We've, we've talked about that a little, a little bit. But we're going to try and sort of look, look at it through a telescope and look at the finer details and really get an understanding of what he's saying here. So I'll start in Romans chapter 1. You can just listen in. You don't have to turn there. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I hope you guys know this verse. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Okay. So God's mercy is available to everyone who will believe in the gospel. Now Paul's going to tell us what the gospel really is. We're jumping to Romans 3, verses 23 to 25. You guys know this one very well. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that means a substitution, by his blood to be received by faith. What this is saying 
Let's really try to get get a grasp on it. What this is saying is that everybody has broken the eternal law of God. Everybody deserves wrath. But you can be justified by his grace as a gift through the blood of Christ because he was put forward in your place. And you can receive that by faith. Again, Romans 1, believing in the gospel. Okay, Romans 4, talking about Abraham. I think this, this is really cool. I think you guys will appreciate this. So this is Abraham. And if you remember the story of Abraham, Abraham was a super old man. Hebrews even says that his body was as good as dead. But um, God had promised that he was going to give Abraham's wife, Sarah, a son. Except Sarah was barren. And so Romans 4 says that Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope. He had no hope to believe that he would really have a son. But it says in hope he believed against hope. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. You guys remember that from, we talked about that in in the book of James last time. Um, We were in that series. And then here's what it says here. This applies to you. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Okay, what, what does all this mean? What this is saying is that if you believe that God is powerful enough to rescue you from your sin through Christ, that faith that you have in that, even though you're believing against hope, it will be counted to you as righteousness. Okay, we'll just do a few more and then we'll move on. I think here's one of the most important ones. You guys really need to listen into this one here. Romans 5, 8. I know you've heard this verse. We're going we're gonna to read it again though. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's think about how amazing that is for a second. Guys, we did not deserve this. All we had ever done is break God's law. All we had ever done is follow our own ways, following the course of the world. Remember that from revival. That's all we'd ever done. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still in that state, Christ died for us. And then Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So this passage is saying, in light of everything Paul's already said about the gospel, about God rescuing us from our sin, he's saying, if God's for us, who can be against us? Isn't that awesome? He didn't spare his own son. And then down here it says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. For believers, there's no, there's no condemnation. There's no fear of being punished by the wrath of God because Christ Jesus is the one who died. And not just that, he was raised. Here's our last one, and then we'll move on. Romans 10, to wrap it all together. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So again, wrapping this all up, all of these riches, this this great love that God has shown us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's faith. So now that we have an understanding of what Paul's talking about by the mercies of God, let's talk about why We even need to treasure Christ's sacrifice. That's point one, right? Treasure Christ's sacrifice. Why? So verse one asks you to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. That means total devotion without any hesitation. And by the way, in this passage, Paul isn't just talking about your physical body. 
He means everything that you have. You remember what Jesus said is the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. Do you think you've ever done that perfectly? If you're honest, you'll probably say, no, I, I haven't. That sounds impossible. If you're honest, right? We're, we're all imperfect. We're all sinful. When have you ever loved God like that? And so I want you to remember that this is all in view of God's mercies. You might say it's because of God's mercies, what we've just explored together. And it's not you who loves God first. It's him who loves you first. And so you need to treasure the sacrifice of Christ because it truly is everything. If you want to obey this passage, this is the only way to do it. First John, um, oh, forgive me, Isaiah 53, right? It says that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He poured out his soul to death. So that's the kind of mercy you need to have in view. If Christ was a living sacrifice, if he gave himself, then we follow him. He goes first and we follow him. See, just like I couldn't have done anything with that dream I had, I didn't have any money. I couldn't pay anything back to my dad. But in a much greater sense, we can't do anything unless you truly have seen and understand and treasure the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, I'll just remind you of a couple things here. 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's that word again, propitiation. Maybe you're studying that in train, but... That means a substitution. He takes your place. That's what propitiation means. We love because he first loved us. Okay, so all this talk about the mercies of God, all this talk about treasuring that, what does it look like to treasure that? Again, Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Pay attention to that last phrase, that word spiritual. Some translations put it like this. They say it's your reasonable service. And that makes sense because the Greek word is actually logikos or logikos, which influenced the English word logical. So it's almost like Paul is saying it's only logical. It only makes sense that you would present yourself wholly to God because of what he has done for you. Now, a living sacrifice, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? If you think about it, I was reading through the commentaries and this struck me. I was like, huh. One of them said, isn't a sacrifice something that's put to death? How can you be a living sacrifice? What Paul is saying here is that this is a daily thing. It's not a one and done thing. It's not you just give yourself once and that's it. It's a lifestyle. Because remember, our goal is to fulfill the greatest commandment. We're not going to do that in a single day. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's, you must do this daily. So Paul is now going to go on in our passage to show us just how we can do that. And it's a two-part process. So I'm going to read verse 2 for you here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that first part, do not be conformed to this world. Think of it like this. You know when you pour water into a glass or into a bowl, it kind of just takes the shape of whatever you pour it into? Or you can pour it on the ground and it kind of spills everywhere and it just takes the shape of the ground. Well, Paul's saying that in the same way, we're in danger of taking the shape of the world, of becoming like the world, of being conformed to the world. So for point number two, you can write this down. Guard against worldly influences. 
Guard against worldly influences. Okay, now imagine a lake full of water, a beautiful lake. And around the lake, there's all kinds of trees and vegetation and flowers and fruits and animals that depend on the lake. And the lake gives life to all those things around it. And also imagine that there are rivers flowing into this lake that keep it full. And the reason there's so much water there is because there's all these rivers flowing into this lake and keeping it full and sustaining the life of everything around it. But now imagine that these rivers start bringing in trash and chemicals and oil and all kinds of pollution, and the lake becomes all black and algae starts growing. There's all kinds of bacteria. It smells. The animals start leaving because they're getting sick from the water. The plants are dying. What happened here? The pollution that the rivers brought in ruined the lake, and in turn, the lake seeped out and ruined everything else around it. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So your heart is just like this lake. It's the thing that seeps out into everything around you. Remember, Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So why shouldn't we conform to this world? What does it really mean to, to guard against worldly influences, to not be conformed to this world? So just like those rivers are bringing in pollution and all kinds of nasty stuff, there are things in your life that you are listening to, that you're watching, people that are around you, that can introduce that pollution into your life and just cause a mess. There's even habits you have that can do this. That's why Proverbs says you need to keep your heart because that's what's going to seep out into everything else in your life, carefully watching everything you take in. So what are these things? What, what kinds of things from the world can stream into our hearts and, and just pollute it? 1 John 2, 15 through 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is in the world, and pay attention here, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And keep in mind that all these things are in the world because they're first in the human heart. Right? That familiar passage in Jeremiah, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. But we're called not to be shaped by our heart's desires. So the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Questions that you can ask yourself to find out whether or not you're letting that into your heart is, what kind of media do you watch? What kind of YouTube videos and TV shows and things like that? What, what are you watching? What's, what's coming into your eyes and, and into your, your mind? What kind of friends do you hang around? Are they cursing all the time? Are they gossiping? Are they talking about sinful things that are introducing that into your, into your mind? Sometimes things like this can seem innocent, but they have a huge influence on your moral character because everything you listen to and everything you watch, whether you like it or not, it's going right into your heart. And it will become what you meditate on. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I'll say one more thing. If you think that you're not conformed to this world because maybe you grew up in a great family, in a great church, you're involved in all kinds of uh, religious activities, I want to call you back to our passage from Revival, which says that all of us were once following the course of this world, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Everybody. So the word says everybody is naturally conformed to this world. Your heart is naturally like that polluted lake. The Bible says in Hosea that we're, we're bent on turning away from God. That's, what we, that's just what we naturally do. We, we turn away from God. 
And so there's a reason that Paul has to say, do not be conformed to this world. Because if we weren't, then he wouldn't have to say that. Fair enough. Second thing I want to address about this is that the world and everything in it is passing away. In that same passage in 1 John, here's what he says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So everything that John just described, the, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the, the boastful pride of life, all of that's temporary and it's passing away. And the temporary life, um, the temporary nature of life is actually a recurring theme in the Bible. Maybe you remember in Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon says that everything is vanity. That Hebrew word literally means like vapor. And maybe this is a, a bit of a, a TMI, but last night my dog decided that he'd like to go to the bathroom in my room. And so I had a great time cleaning that all up, and I got some fragrance, and I was spraying it around. I'm just noticing how all the particles sort of disappear into the air. That's what Solomon's saying is it's our life is like, it's like a vapor. It just vanishes just like that. So think about it. Think about it. I'm sure a lot of you guys are blessed to know your grandparents, right? Maybe even you know your great-grandparents. I'm sure there's even a select few of you guys who know your great-great-grandparents. But, you know, if I keep going, eventually we're all going to get to a point where we say, you know what, I, I have no idea who that was. I never met them. I didn't know them. I, they're part of my family. I'm here because they were, you know, they, they had children and everything, but I don't know anything about them. Think about it like that. Someday, that's going to be us. Someday, we are going to be the great-great-grandparents that our family has forgotten. And so, the question is, is there anything at all that lasts? If the word says that everything in the world is passing away, then what really lasts? How do, how do we have assurance? So very often, um, what it looks like to guard against worldly influences is to really think about What's this going to matter for eternity? Will this really matter in 100 years? What am I doing to my soul when I listen to this or watch that or hang around these people? What am I doing to my soul? Because there only is one thing that, that lasts, and that is the word of God. We're going to explore that in the next point. But I want you guys, for the last part of this point, I want you guys to consider what Jesus did. Because he is our example for what it looks like to say, not my will, but yours be done. Do you remember when Jesus said that? He said, not my will, but yours be done. He was in the garden of Gethsemane. Remember the context of why he was saying that? He, he goes into the garden, he tells his disciples to keep watch and pray. And he goes there and he says, Father, if, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What he was talking about there was he knew that his crucifixion was coming. He knew that he was going to have to bear the wrath of God there. And so he says, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But then he says this amazing thing. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. How amazing is that? See, that's our Savior. Even in the midst of this suffering that he's, he's feeling the weight of sin, and he just says, not my will, but yours be done. And so even when that meant being crushed by the wrath of God, he was willing to go. And he's our example. He's the one we follow. So, if we know that in order to daily dedicate ourselves to God, we must treasure the love that he has shown us in the cross, resist becoming like the world, which is passing away, and instead choose to say, with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. How do we know what the will of God is anyways? 
the will of God. We hear that all the time, right? But how do we really know what it is? If we're going to do God's will, if we're going to let his will be done in our life, then how do we know what that is? Paul tells us here in verse 2, once again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, just, again, you know, our heart is like a polluted lake. It needs to be transformed. It needs to be renewed. So your mind is one way, but God's mind is another way. Your will is one way, but God's will is another way. So really what this means is that we need to learn God's thoughts. We need to learn God's ways. How can we do that? Here's how. Write this down for point number three. Here's how we know God's will. Remain in the word of God. That's point three. Remain in the word of God. So this point's title tells us how this transformation can take place. It comes through the knowledge of the will of God. And we can know God's will, God's heart, by knowing God's word. Because again, what we're looking for is God's ways. If, if our heart is like a polluted lake, well, we, we want it to be clean. We want it to be renewed. We want it to be fresh. We want it to give life to everything around us. And so, again, I know we talk a lot about reading the word. We do it together every day. But I would just appeal to you that if, if you really don't read the Bible very much, if you don't care to read the Bible very much, it's probably because you don't want to read the Bible. Because if you wanted to, then you'd make time for it. Fair enough, you'd sacrifice to make time for it. And the reason you don't want to is because you haven't seen the beauty of it, or you don't see the beauty of it. And everybody has days like this. I have days where I wake up and I'm just like, you know, five extra minutes of sleep sounds a lot better than, than reading the Word right now. But on those days, it's because I don't see that it's so much more valuable than five extra minutes of sleep. And so I, what we really want to do is we want to see the beauty of God's word because that's really what's going to transform us and renew our minds. So talking about God's ways, Isaiah 55 gives us an answer to this question. God says this about his ways. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, pay attention to this part, he's talking about his word now, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Have you ever thought about God's word in that way? like a, a refreshing rain coming down from heaven and watering the earth and causing it to grow all of these delicious things and all these good things? Have you thought about it in that way? Have you, have you thought about how it might transform you? Here's what he says about the transformation that will take place in the next verse. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. So the thorn is, you guys know what a thorn is, right? You've probably been pricked by one before. The briar is like a little thorny plant. It's, it's not fruitful. It's not good. But God says that will turn into the cypress. You know those big green trees that are all tall and pointy? And the myrtle, it's a beautiful tree with many leaves, a very fruitful tree. And so to sum this all up, what God's saying is that his word will come down and it can transform your life, all the dead and barren places in your life. And so as Christians, we want to remain in the word of God, right? 
but why? Why do we need to remain in the word of God? If you're conformed to the world, you're not making a difference in the world because you look just like everybody else. But in this passage, God calls us to consciously apply his word so that by testing, we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you're living a life that's good and acceptable and perfect, if you're applying his word to every area of your life and it's causing this this growth, this transformation, people are going to look at that and say, hmm, what's different about that student? There's something real there. There's something, I don't know, I can't explain it. There's something different. And we want to be set apart so that people can see the glory of God, so that they will ask questions, and then we can share with them the hope that we have in Jesus. Psalm 119, 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And that word meditation, it means what you're thinking about in your heart. All day long, the psalmist is saying, oh, I think about it all day long. So back to our little lake illustration, if you're letting all this pollution come into your heart, you're meditating on things that are not profitable or just things that are sinful, it's going to be, you're going to have a polluted lake. But if, just like the psalmist, the word of God is your meditation all the day, if you're thinking about it, how do I apply it in this situation? How can I love God in this situation? How do I apply his scripture here? Then, it, then it's your meditation all the day and it will give life to everything around. Another reason why you need to remain in the word of God is because Jesus clearly says that apart from him, we can do nothing. In John 15, he says like we're, we're like dead branches cut off from the vine if we're not with him, remaining with him. And how you remain with him is you remain in the word every day. We've been talking about how the world and its desires pass away, right? We've been trying to think about, okay, what, what does last? How can we have a, a solid foundation that's not going to crumble underneath us? Again, it comes down to God's word. God's word endures throughout all the generations. Even when we're great-grandparents, God will be the same. His word will be the same. He says in Isaiah 40, All flesh is grass, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want a sure foundation, if you want a solid foundation that's not going to fade and wither underneath you, you need to be standing on the word of God. You need to remain in the word of God. Because again, this is the only way to know the will of God. So commit to reading the word each day, even if it feels like a drudgery, even if you feel like, you know what, I just, I'm not getting anything out of it. I don't know, like, I read it, but I just, it feels like a chore to me. Because as you discipline yourself to do that every day, I'm confident that you'll find that your passion, your desire for it actually grows. It's like a little cycle. As you put more discipline in, your passion grows. And then that passion, that desire you have for it is going to also increase your discipline in getting in it every single day. And as you begin to understand the worth of God's word and your desire is growing for it, then you'll be moved to read it more and it will give you a renewed mind. Then you can know what are the high ways of God, the high thoughts of God. And again, this is a daily thing. This is why we need to remain in the word every day. It's a daily dedication. I'm slowly reading this book called Gentle and Lowly. It was named after a saying of Jesus. It's the only time in the Bible where he describes his, his heart. He says his heart is gentle and lowly, right? It means he's kind, he's tender, he's compassionate, he's humble. And as we end our time here, I want to share with you guys one of my favorite passages from this book. Here's what it says. Whatever Christ did, 
He did it out of love and grace and mercy. The Jesus given to us in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is not simply one who loves, but who is love. Merciful affections stream from his innermost heart as rays from the sun. Have you ever thought about Jesus in that way? The kind, tender-hearted Savior that reaches out to low sinners like you and I? Remember what the Bible said about his whole purpose on earth in John 3.17? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He came to save sinners just like you and me because that same tender, kind-hearted Savior went to the cross for us, taking the place of anybody who will just turn from their own ways, their own sin, and believe in him. So if you want to know that Jesus more deeply, again, like the pastor said, you learn that in the Gospels. You need to be in the Word. That's the only way to really know God. How to, it's the only way to walk with God. And I would warn anybody who hasn't done that yet, who's, who's waiting, who's, who hasn't trusted in Christ yet. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's, a, that's an amazing salvation. Low sinners can be saved because the perfect man went to the cross for them. But how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So in conclusion, because of what Christ has done for you, you must daily dedicate yourself to him. And the only way to really do that, to have the motivation to do that, is if you're really treasuring what he has done for you. Resisting the world and your own desires and saying, with him, not my will, but yours be done, God. So, the only way to know God's will, again, to know God's ways, is to remain in the word of God. And so, let's go to the Lord and pray that he would strengthen us to do just that. Father, we thank you for this passage, this passage that shows us that we are to give ourselves wholly to you because you've given yourself to us, Lord. I just pray that everyone in this room would be motivated to do that, Lord, that we would really be doers of your word. Help us to see how kind you are, Lord, in saving us uh, from our sin. And I pray that that would motivate us to obey you more as just every day, Lord, remaining in your word, knowing you deeply. I pray that you would draw us in, Lord. And um, I just pray that everyone in this room, Lord, would know Jesus, that would know the Jesus that we talked about today, Father, and that seeing his love for us would cause us to want to give our lives to him and take up our cross and follow after him. So all these things we pray in his name. Amen.